And welcome back to more open lines here on Coast to Coast. We'll hit the phones when we come right back on Coast to Coast AM. And welcome back to Open Lines. George Norrie with you. Let's go right to the calls. Let's go to Jim in Delaware to get us started. Hey, Jimmy, welcome to the show. Hey, Happy New Year, George. You too, Jim. Look forward to a good 23 for all of us. And Tommy's right. It is New Year's Eve is the, is the real party. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, uh, didn't, didn't you try to get an interview with Bob Dylan? Uh, yes, I know his son Jesse, but he just doesn't want to do interviews right now. But yeah, uh, all he ever does interviews his whole career. Exactly, and uh, he sold out his music library for I think a f- small fortune. Wow. Anyway, uh, about reincarnation, you know me, I don't believe in that. I mean, uh, my Catholic friend that studied the Catholic Church and knows. And, he can name names of the church fathers and what they've said. And I told him what guys on your station, on your show, say that Christians used to believe in reincarnation. He says that's not true. They, a lot of them still do. When, yeah, I know. The thing is, I was thinking today, hey, Lord, what about the birds and the bees? It's okay if they reincarnate because their, their lives are so short. That's a good point. I think reincarnation's got a lot to it. There's something there. Anyway, George, I'm telling you, you get to heaven to behold the beatific vision of God. You won't want to come back to this sinful life. Well, you might be right about that, Jimmy. Thank you very much. Next up, let's go to Kurt in Maryland. Welcome to the show. Hi, Kirk. Hi, B, sir. All is good. Welcome to the program. I've been listening to you for uh, 20-some years also, and... Thank you. As I told Tommy, when you look in the mirror, don't you ever think of yourself as Gomez? <laughs> <laughs> From the Adams family? Yes. Depends on when I twirl my mustache or not. I think of the mustache. I was going, when first time I saw you on TV, I was going, that's Gomez. <laughs> <laughs> I get that and, every once in a while. Do you? Okay. Cool. And, uh, after listening to Art, have you ever heard anything more about Mel's Holt? You know, we tried to find Mel after I came on the program, and we haven't found him. I don't know if he's dead or alive, but no, we have no updates on that story. It's it's a strange one, isn't it? Because I've watched a few YouTube videos of where the Indian guy talks about, you know, going up to Mel's Hole. And it's been rather interesting. We keep, and, we keep trying to find the guy. And do you remember... Hearing about the loneliest telephone booth in America with the, the, Chad. I did not. Tell me about that. Well, I always thought that was false, but there was a telephone booth that was 50 miles from anywhere. And in the newspaper, the telephone company finally came out and took it away. It was out in the, out in the West near a coal mine. And people would go out there and just listen to the telephone calls. You know, people call from all over the world. And one night on art, I heard, you know, Desert Chad, he was at the telephone booth, and, you know, people would call all from all over the world, you know, to this one telephone booth. That is strange. Hey, thanks for the call. Are there any telephone booths even in existence anymore? 
That's a good question. Let's go to Jim, the big island of Hawaii. Those volcanoes stopped, Jim? I heard they have. Yeah, they, they died down, but they were pretty uh, colorful when it was going off. I bet. Um, yeah, it's died down. But anyway, you know, as far as your last guess with records, I used to have a stack of 45s that was probably about four feet high, and then my LPs were about half as high. But And that was by the time I was 15. But um, anyway, one, one thing, seeing how it's open lines, this past Tuesday evening when I was walking my dog, I like to look at the stars. This would ah. be a good question for Dr. Sky. Okay. I, I, I like seeing satellites go by, and, you know, I see how fast they go. You know, they only move a certain speed. Then I saw this one that was really bright. And it was moving about three, maybe four times as fast as the regular satellites would. And then there was a cloud. And um, this thing kind of, you could see the stars on the edge of the cloud being blocked out. And then the stars behind it blocked out. But this thing went underneath the cloud. Satellites don't do that, do they? No, not no. I mean, because that would have had to have been only about five thousand feet or so, you know. Because I'm up at about a thousand feet on the hill, and you know the clouds go two, three, four thousand feet above that, unless they're going up over the summits. But um, which we have snow on the mountains as well. So, um, is yeah, it, is, I mean, is that unusual to have snow up there? No, we get snow every year. It does, okay. I mean, that's not unusual at all. I mean, we've had snow as early as um, in September, October, and as sometimes as late as June and sometimes in July. We get, you know, big thunderstorms coming in with the tall thunder um, clouds. They cover the mountain, boom, we get a blanket of snow because it's cold up at 13,000 feet. Are those birds or cokey frogs I hear in the background? That's the cokies. I got my window down a little bit because I came out to my car because one night um, I was calling on the weekend and Donna couldn't hear me because of them. So I told her, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me, I'll run out to my car. So I came out to the car. And I rolled up all my windows. I got my window cracked just a little bit right now. They're not too noisy tonight. How, how many are out there? What do you think? Thousands. Wow. That's amazing. Hey, thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. Final text and tweet for the night. What do we have, Thomas? This is from Mark in Bullhead City. What's the biggest news story in your mind of 2022? Uh, it had to be the Ukraine-Russian war to me. How about you? Yeah, that's <laughs> By far, by far. You know, COVID was the year before that, the year before that. But I think it was the Ukraine war in 2022. I think we agree on that. You know, and let's let's pray to God that it hopes it ends before anything stupid happens. I think something stupid's already happened. It needs to end. It's ridiculous. It really is. All right, let's go to John in Wisconsin. Hey, John, you're up. Hello, George. Three quick comments, please. Is this our buddy, John, that we're going to meet at the uh, Pat Boone luncheon? 
George, I can't wait. I am so thankful. I just talked to Tommy. You know, I'm blind, but I finally uh, hooked up a traveling companion with me that will be flying from Wisconsin on Friday the 24th. We'll stay at the um, hotel in Burbank, and then my companion and I will be attending the event. We're well, fantastic. I look forward to meeting you. Likewise. Um, George, on behalf of the current Coast to Coast listeners and all future Coast to Coast listeners, I want to congratulate you not only on your 20 years, but on your five-year contract extension. That is just delightful news, and congratulations on that. Thank you, John. Second, George, I want to give you my opinion quickly on 2023. I believe it's going to be a better year. I think people are tired of the pandemic, the ramifications of it. They're tired of the toxic political climate. Uh, Yes, we have a lot of issues. Uh, Yes, there are some problems. George, you have so many good guests on your show that offer healing and wisdom. We just need to heed that advice and carry it on to others, which segues to my final comment, George. I believe your work the last 20 years and your work over the next five years is going to transition AM radio back to the good old days. And I'll give you a quick example. My wife and I have no children. We have no grandchildren. But we have plenty of friends whose grandchildren are in their 20s now, and they're hungry for healing. When you turn the radio on during the day, it's, it's just political divisiveness. No matter what side of the aisle you're on, Republican or Democrat, we're, we're just tired of the divisiveness. We're looking for yeah. healing. So are these young kids. When I look at the business model of coast to coast, I tell my wife, Jean, I guarantee you in the next 10 years, George Norrie and his staff are going to be a model for the future of AM radio. Then I listened to your guest Harvey tonight and all the warm feelings of the great music industry. I think it's all going to transition back to that, George. You're a huge, huge part of it. God bless you and Happy New Year. Thank you, John. And we'll see you in Feb at the Pat Boone Luncheon. He's coming all the way in from Wisconsin. That's fantastic. Next up, let's go to Joe in New Hampshire. Take it away, Joseph. Hello, George. Thank you for taking my call. Thank uh, you, Joe. I felt compelled to call you tonight, and I'm glad I got through when Barbara Walters passed and I heard the news uh, a few hours ago. You got a great voice, by the way. Well, uh, for radio, not TV. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to be handsome for the radio. but uh, That's right. So, but talking about television and Barbara Walters, I remember when she was dating uh, Dr. Henry Kissinger when President Nixon was in office. And they were quite an item for a while back around 1969, 1970. But uh, I don't know uh, how long they were together. You know, that was like gossip. But I'm calling about a secret, I guess you would call it, that's been in my family for 44 years, a story about my younger sister and Barbara Walters back in 1978 down in Washington, D.C. Okay. And I I told Tom, your screener, a little bit about it, and he was kind of shocked to hear it. And I don't mean to tell this story to... uh, uh, disparage Barbara Walters in any way. She was a great interviewer, and I think uh, the only person that could compare to your skill at interviewing guests, you know, she's right there. But unlike her, you're kind to your guests. She could be pretty rough on her guests. I remember her, but my sister was not a television person. She was very academic. She got a full scholarship to Georgetown, and she was in the School of Foreign Service back in 1978. And the way she told the story, she came home for the holidays later that year. And to her, it wasn't a big deal. She thought it was kind of funny. And it probably would have been a skit on Saturday Night Live if they had gotten wind of it. It would have been hilarious, I think, on Saturday Night Live. But my sister was sent over to the ABC 
studio to uh, apply to be an intern. And, um, you know, today, your popularity in America today is at least as high, I think, as Barbara Walters was in America in 1978. She was pretty popular, but I think you'd be right there. And I don't know how you would handle this if someone came into your studio looking to be an intern and they didn't know who you were as you approached them. But when she got to the ABC studio, and I don't know the details. I wish I were there because I'd have a lot to tell. But she got there, and whatever conversation she was having with someone, Barbara Walters came out from her inner office to see my sister, and they got into a little bit of a conversation, and at some point... Barbara Walters said to my sister, do you know who I am? Don't you know who I am? I'm Barbara Walters. And my sister genuinely said back to her, no, I don't, ma'am. I don't know who you are. Oh, my God. Barbara Walters went into a rage that you would not believe because I guess it was ego. But because my sister truly did not know who she was, she had her escorted out, you know, literally thrown out of the ABC studio. Oh, my God. My sister was only 18 years old. And she didn't, you know, she wasn't a television person. She really didn't know who Barbara Walters, you know, who she was. And it's quite a story. I mean, I laugh about it. I can imagine what it was like to be there. And I think my sister said on the way out, there were a couple people laughing, you know, trying to conceal their laughing about it. But uh, it was quite a scene because my sister did not know who she was. That is a great story. Great story. It was ne- this story has never been told until tonight on your show. I love I it. I guess it's okay because... Uh, Barbara's gone now, and uh, it's not disparaging. It's kind of cute, actually. Yeah, it's a true story. All right, love it. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Next up, let's go to D in Redding, California. First time caller. Hi, D. Hi, George. It's so nice to talk to you. I'm a long, long time listener, dating back to Art Bell. Thank you. And and then listening to you through the years, it's been wonderful. What got you to call tonight? Well, I have a couple of things. First of all, I'm I'm a, an educated journalist as well, and I, I have to say that Barbara Walters was someone that I just always looked up to and and was paving the path, you know, for me in that field too. I never got to the place where she is, but but it's you know it's kind of nice to know that she had a nice long life and did so well in that field. Absolutely, it's kind of sad that that she didn't. Um, she wasn't a gracious person to understand the, the youth of this young woman that, that, you know, was in front of her. But that's the way it goes. Yeah, that happens. Um, it does. And um, the other thing is that I was listening to your long list of, of singers that you've interviewed, and I thought, gosh, where are all the women? <laughs> and so I think your your list is a little bit lopsided. You need to... Invite more women on your list. I I agree with that. I mean, there's, there's some great... I'd love to interview Barbara Streisand, for example. I know. And Celine Dion, and gosh. Yep. There are lots of them out there that are so, so good. Carrie Underwood. Um, the best. Oh, my. Miley Cyrus, that, she, she'd be fun, too. Probably so. <laughs> and probably a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay, so my- I did. I did have one singer on you a long time ago. We forgot Shirley Jones. Remember her? Yes. Oh my goodness! I saw all of her films. I just I'm I'm a music lover too, and I loved all of the music, all of them. 
they were they were great. I can I can probably sing the songs because I I memorized all. Oh, the classics, classics. Yes, exactly. Um, the what I actually called about is something really super important. All right, go ahead. Uh, I this is something that I've been thinking about for a long time. Like when our when I first learned that that our service people, our military people, were coming going to be coming back like six hundred at a time, and you know uh, from from uh, the sandbox over there, um, and there were not enough services to accommodate all of them. And I'm going, oh, this is just oh, a terrible thing that our country is doing and not helping these people. You know, simulate back into. Um, just everyday living. And I and I so I started thinking about it and I I used to live in Orange County and there's an there's an air force base very close to where I used to live and and then I started thinking about all of the military bases that are that are closed and just growing weeds and sitting, you know, it's like prime real estate that is absolutely doing nothing. And I'm thinking when you talked about um, neighborhoods for our whole cities for Home, homeless cities. People. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had thought about that for the military, the returning military. They could be actually self-sustaining, and now it could include both military as well as homeless people, because I'll, I'll probably there's a, a good number of homeless people that were military people as well. And they, I mean, the buildings are there, the land is there, there, you know, all kinds of services could be offered to them and they could learn new, new skills to, um, you know, to help sustain the, um, the neighborhood or the city that they're living in and then get them ready to go back out into, you know, just everyday jobs. That's a great idea, Dee. I mean, it's there and the land is huge. I, it drives me crazy. Prime real estate sitting there gathering weeds, and we're paying for it. And we're so paying we for, it. for it. That's right. And and the land's already paid for. Yes. C- clean it up a little bit and get those poor folks in there. I I just totally agree. I totally agree. And I mean, especially since the buildings are already there, and and not only that, would but it would also provide jobs more and more and more jobs for people that that are educated that can do counseling that can do um you know chef work teach them how to cook teach them how to garden teach them how to uh, you know how to do um guide dogs teach them all kinds of skills absolutely great idea d thank you for being part of the program in a moment we're going to take a short break and come back with mark zikri from the twilight zone companion books He is uh, one of our favorite guests, and we're going to be talking a little bit about the Twilight Zone in a moment. And don't forget, Connie Willis will take you into the new year, 2023, tomorrow night. And, of course, I'll be here on the new year, Sunday, 2023. We all love the magic of the Twilight Zone television series, those of us who remember it. No one knows more about it than Coast to Coast guest Mark Zickery, but did Mark ever meet Rod Serling? Did you ever have a chance to meet Rod Serling? Well, you know, I, when I was a student at UCLA, one day he, he gave a talk there, and I had a final that day, and I chose to take the final. If I could go back in time and choose the other path. He would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, but, would have, uh, he would have liked you. 
Oh, yeah. And, he's, and you know, I, I came upon a video of him teaching a class where he would screen a Twilight Zone episode and then talk about it, and that was Rod totally candid, not televised at, at all. And so I feel like I knew him. I feel, And also, of course, all the research I did for the companion, um, you know, I really feel like I got to know, know Rod very well, and he was an amazing, amazing man. I'll always remember the story that uh, you said that here in his Los Angeles home, Carol let you in the attic, in yes. the rummaging through Twilight Zone scripts and things that you had never seen before. Yeah. It was amazing. Well, you know, up in the attic, there were all these heavy brown leather volumes with every article ever written about Rod Serling in chronological order, just a a whole shelf full of these big, thick volumes. And also another thing that was up in that attic were uh, Rod, what what, what Rod would do to relax, because he was so prolific, is to relax he would make airplane model kits. And so there were boxes boxes of airplane model kits that he hadn't gotten around to making. And they were up there in the attic too, because Rod, of course, sadly died at at age 50. So so it it was really quite quite uh, melancholy to be up there, but it was great. HBO is airing a series called The Twilight Zone episode you never got to see. Yes, yes, Let's, yes. Tell us about this. Well, it's really amazing. Rod, in, in 1964, Twilight Zone was still on the air. That was the last year uh, new episodes were made of the original show. And at that same year, Rod wrote something called A Carol for Another Christmas. That's basically a modern, updated retelling of Christmas Carol, but set in the atomic age. And it was very much a Rod Serling script, very Twilight Zone in nature. And prior to HBO running it, it was almost impossible to see it. And it stars uh, Peter Sellers and, and just oh, Pat Hingle and all these amazing actors, Eva Marie Saint. And it's really like a 90-minute Twilight Zone episode. And I just came upon it. The HBO was released for the holidays, and it's it's quite a rarity. And and previously to see it, you'd have to go to a university archive and put it on a moviola and watch a 16 millimeter print. It was that rare. I don't think it ever was broadcast from 1964 on. And and now it's on HBO in a gorgeous print, and you can you can watch it. It's really Rod Sterling writing at the height of his career, so it's it's quite a a wonderful, uh, wonderful lost, lost episode. How many episodes were there? There were 156 Twilight Zone episodes uh, and over five seasons, and Rod wrote 92 of them. So he wow. was astonishingly, uh, I mean, the quality of, of writing was just amazing. And the other writers, of course, Richard Matheson, Charles Beaumont, George Clayton Johnson, Earl Hamner, they were, they were giants as well. And, uh, and Rod really, uh, really had an, an amazing group of writers working with him. And you were saying that some time ago that he would float in his pool with his dictaphone. <laughs> well, dic- he would lounge dic- beside the pool in the mornings. He would get up in the morning and lounge by the pool in his swim trunks and dictate the Twilight Zone scripts. And he used to joke that he was the only uh, writer who could write a script and get a tan at the same time. That's Now, these are the episodes he wrote, right? Yeah. Yeah, he dictated the. He was one of the few writers who could dictate a script. Richard Matheson, who was one of the other Twilight Zone writers, told me that he tried to do it and he couldn't do it. But but they thought that all those recordings were lost of Rod's dictation, and they just found a thousand of them in the in oh archive. Priceless. And it's Rod dictating scripts and dictating speeches and dictating letters. And so I'm proposing a new show called Rod Serling's After Twilight that Rod would narrate from that material and that would be made up of unmade Rod Serling scripts, and there's a ton of those. And uh, so that's so I'm now in, in uh, uh, discussions with Rod, the Rod Serling family and, and the estate to, uh, to see if we can make that show. I, I, I very much want to. Well, that would be fantastic. And he would, what, change characters while he was dictating and things like that? Yeah, yeah he, he, he would describe the shots. He would, he would act out the different characters. I mean, he was really... 
uh, an amazing man. I mean, when you listen to him dictating these scripts, it's it's phenomenal because he's playing all the roles. He could just go into that, and uh, you know, he had he was. I mean, he was unique. There was no really really no one like him. We're going to take calls with Mark Zakree at the half here, so get ready to jump on board, and then we've got open lines next hour here for you on Coast to Coast. How's the Mr. Sci-Fi YouTube channel doing? It's going great. We, uh, you know, I, I started a couple of years ago, and it allows me to talk about science fiction, and when we're shooting Space Command, we've been putting episodes up on, on, on Mr. Sci-Fi. We've got our first hour on Space Command has been seen by over 3 million people with a 97% thumbs up. And, uh, wow, that's amazing. Today, Today I was having lunch with a Netflix executive uh, who's very friendly uh, with me, and we're you know we're now proposing a slate called the Showrunners Network, where I'm creating six new shows with the creators of The Expanse and 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 um, you know Farscape and all these other shows, and uh, and it'll be like a slate of six series. So Space Command is one of those, but uh, but if people want to get a jump on that and see see the you know the first few episodes of Space Command, it's there on Mr. Sci-Fi on YouTube for free. You know, and uh, so it's 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 hugely fun to have my own studio and be be able to to put out my own my own shows to the whole world. It's 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 terrific. Can I say I knew you when? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're going to know me always, George. I mean, we've been kindred spirits from from the mo- first moment that we began to have this conversation. Oh, we've we've we've, we've clicked, haven't we? Over yeah, the years, yeah. it's been something else. And uh, yeah. tell us about yeah. the evolution of Space Command. This is a great story. Thanks. It's um, well, you know, I grew up. Um, uh, with Star Trek, the original Star Trek, and I got to visit the set when I was a kid, and it really formed me as a as a writer and as a person. And and I realized that with Twilight Zone and Star Trek back then, Rod Serling and Gene Roddenberry, they wanted to create shows that would inspire people to create a better future, that would create you know that w- where we could reach across boundaries and, and barriers and 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 actually build a future worth living in. And lately, I noticed that a lot of the science fiction shows, their message was, well, the future is going to be terrible, and there's nothing you can do about it. And I thought, well, that's that's a terrible message to send out. So I thought, well, let me see if I can create a, sh- a science fiction show set in the future, set in outer space, uh, that would have a, an inspiring, positive message without being Pollyanna or, or, or you know, rose-colored glasses or any of that. And I didn't want the networks or the studios to decide if the audience ever saw it. So I reached out to my, my fans, my audience, via crowdfunding and selling investment shares. And to date, they've given me over $3 million. And no way. Yeah, amazing, huh? And it allowed wow. me to open my own studio. We've shot seven hours of Space Command so far, and we're still going strong. We're going to shoot the entire season and, and keep going. And so uh, it's and it allowed me to write what I wanted to write and cast who I wanted to cast, like Bill Mooney, like you know um, uh, Veronica Cartwright. We're going to be working with and Doug Jones from Star Trek Discovery and Gates McFadden. I mean, all these people, Amir Furlan from Deep uh, from Babylon Five. You know, I didn't have to ask anyone's permission. I just called my friends and said, "You want to be in this show?" And they all said. Yes. So. <laughs> well, that's exciting. And you've had fun doing your own thing, haven't you? Oh, every day is Christmas. Elaine and I are writing and producing and directing together. My wife, you know, we've been together 45 years, and she's the best part of every day. And uh, and I just, you know, I'm, I'm like that little boy on the Star Trek set when I was 10. You know, it was just like a dream come true. And so I get to do that every single day. We're building an alien spaceship now at my studio. So and we're building two eight foot tall creatures and robots. And I own 15 spacesuits. I mean, how cool is that? You know, so, uh, so I'm, I'm a happy camper. Definitely. Well, that's great. I still have the Ray Bradbury letter yeah. that he wrote me when I did a uh, editorial about, uh, I sing the body electric, his twilight yeah. zone script. And he just, he loved the editorial. It just made yeah. him so happy, and he wrote a letter to me about that. 
yeah. and I think I think that speaks to you know Ray was a very dear friend of mine and uh, and he was very he was a ch- he was childlike not childish but childlike he kept that sense of wonder and that sense of gratitude and joy and and I think you really have to stay connected to that and uh, and you had definitely have George and 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 I have too you know it's you have to find enthusiasm and passion and and not let the world erode that and uh, and that's and in fact the the new book, Greenlighting Yourself, that's what it's about. It's basically for writers and directors and actors and producers where they can build their own dream and not wait for the studio or the network or even publishing companies to uh, to make their dream come true. It's how nowadays with the Internet and with digital cameras and all that stuff, um, you can you can reach the whole world. It's what I've done, and, and in, the, in that book I wanted to share share that with, with people who want to do the same, you know. Um, uh, it's It's not that hard. You just have to get the right advice. And uh, so I'm, I'm really glad I finished that book. It's going to be out in the next few months. It'll be in, you know, bookstores and on Amazon and everywhere good books are sold. But uh, but it was just a way of, you know, sharing what I've learned and what I've what Ray Bradbury taught me and, and others taught me. Tommy, producer Tommy, still uh, quotes a number of Twilight Zone episodes. Uh, when he latches on to one or two that he loves, yeah. I mean, he just uses them all the time. Yes. Yes, well, there's so many great quotes. I mean, you know, it's a cookbook, you know, room for one more, honey. I mean, there's just so many catchphrases from Twilight Zone. And, uh, you know, I was, I was joking with someone else, uh, recently where, like, what did people, like, nowadays we'll, we'll have a weird experience. We'll say, God, it was just like I was in the Twilight Zone. But before that, what did people say? Did they have to say, well, we'll have to wait until 1959 to, to be able to describe this? Because there really is no other phrase that fits so perfectly as that one. Just a few days ago, I was talking about Little Girl Lost, the girl who fell into another dimension. Yes. That's just, yeah. I mean, what Wonderful. a great mind he had, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and it really takes looking at the world, I mean, you know, and seeing, sort of looking at it sideways and seeing possibilities where other people don't. And, uh, you know, and then, of course, they had such great directors and such great actors. I mean, I, you know, I, I recently cast Veronica Cartwright in a new show I'm creating with Rockne O'Bannon, who created Farscape. And, uh, you know, Veronica Cartwright starred in I Sing the Body Electric, as well as Alien and The Birds. And, and to be working with her is, again, a dream come true, you know, because you look at all the amazing actors who are on Twilight Zone. You know, we, you and I, you know, are friends with Bill Mooney, but also, my God, they had Lee Marvin and Robert Redford. Shatner. He started yeah, Shatner. Shatner. Exactly. Elizabeth Montgomery, all, on and on. I mean, my God. And, uh, and it, just, it just holds up. You watch those episodes now, and there's, uh, you know, they, don't, they don't lose a, a, a bit of their power. No, not they're, at all. They're more relevant now than ever. And then he had classic people like Burgess Meredith in there. Yes, yes. And it was, uh, he was in four episodes. He was in Time Enough at Last and Princess Devil and The Obsolete Man. And, uh, and he was just amazing. It was great when I interviewed him. Uh, he, uh, you know, he told me that, you know, Rod Serling, he said like a great many writers or like many good writers, Rod listened more than he talked. And, uh, and he really, he had a rapport with Serling and, uh, and time enough at last where he's the last man on earth is just, it's unforgettable. I I mean, it's just, it's one of the high points of television. How did he work with his writers? Did he tell them the idea or did he turn them loose and then he worked with them? Yeah, Rod. The, the thing that was interesting about Rod was um, he he was very much an idea factory himself, and he was churning out script after script after script with the writers. When he got that team of, of Richard Matheson, Charles Beaumont, and George Clayton Johnson and Earl Holloman, he they would kind of pitch ideas, or they would have written short stories that they thought would make good episodes, 
and he would just kind of let them once they once they had it kind of nailed down he would let them just go he would say he said to them we will shoot the drafts that you write and they didn't believe him at first because so many other shows would just you know take their scripts and chew them up and spit them out and they were amazed when the scripts that they wrote was what got shot and so he really trusted these writers they were uh, amazing talents and uh and he 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 gave them a free hand he really gave them a free hand I remember the uh, one on the fever it was called about yes. a guy who got hooked on a slot machine. Yes, Franklin Gibbs. Yes, and he uh that's a great episode. Ever and Everett Sloan, you know, he was in Citizen Kane previously. He was in Patterns, which was a great live TV presentation that kind of put Rod Serling on the map and and in that he plays a guy. Well, you know, Twilight Zone is very much about people who either rise or fall. They're given, they're they're put in a fantasy situation that either allows them to rise to the occasion, like Shatner in Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet, or Franklin Gibbs, where he's kind of a stingy, kind of you know miserly guy, and then he gets the gambling fever and it does him in. You know, so you know, so or or you know, or the one with the machines that come alive. You know, and uh, and all of those things. There's so it's always a test of someone's moral fiber. And uh, and again, these, that's why these these shows these episodes last so well, because uh, they're about the human condition, and that's yep. and so something like Monsters of Do on Maple Street and mob psychology and hysteria. I mean, my God, you look at the newspapers, you know, in the last few days, and you can see where Monsters of Do on Maple Street is is more relevant now than when Rod wrote it in in '59. The name Bartlett Finchley ring a bell. <laughs> Yes, yes, exactly. A thing about machines. That's uh, such a fun episode with the with the razor that comes slithering down that staircase, and you know the electric razor and and the TV set. You know, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's just it's just super fun. You know, the, the fun part about Twilight Zone is that it's serious, but it's also fun. And like like uh, will the real Martian please stand up? Where there's all these people stuck in a snowed in diner, and one of them is a Martian. <laughs> You know, and which which one of them is the Martian? And uh, you know, it's just a, you get a sense that these people making this show were having the time of their life, and were just seizing an opportunity to make something that they would love and that the world would love, and they succeeded spectacularly. Yep, absolutely. He won six Emmys. That's amazing, yes. isn't it, Mark? Yes, yes, yes. And and the funny thing is, when he won the first Emmy for Twilight Zone. He was so sure he wasn't going to win that he didn't even shave before the ceremony. <laughs> and he got up and he said, I don't know how deserving I am, but I do know how grateful I am. For Dan Galanti, Tom Danheiser, Lisa Lyon, Lex Lonehood, Sean LaDessure, Ryan Stacy, Stephanie Smith, Chris Burroughs, Tim Banal, George Napany, and Punnett. I'm George Norrie, somewhere out there on Coast to Coast AM. We'll see you on our next edition. Until then, have a great new year, everyone, and be safe.